Welcome to Megan's Bookish Life, a podcast where literary meets lifestyle. Hi, Gianna. Welcome to Megan's Bookish Life podcast. Hello. Thank you for having me, Megan. I'm so excited to be here. Okay. So I have to bring up that I've never said this about an author before, but I had a fantastic time reading your about me on your website. Wow. I haven't heard that before. <laughs> like the thing is when I do my podcast research, I like to dig deep, but like you had fun facts ready for me, baby. Like I was like, let's keep going. So for everyone listening and didn't read your her about me, Gianna is a lover of sports, a baker of pies, and a writer of angsty love stories. Obviously, just a few things about how wonderful you are. You also live in Canada. So it said you lived like in Europe a little bit. How long did you live in Europe for? Like you, you traveled around, right? Yeah. So I've lived on and off. I would say like the place that I've spent the most time is Paris. So when I was doing my higher education basically every summer I would move to Europe because I really wanted to learn to speak French. I lived in a small town called Saint-Étienne-de-Crosse which is in the French Alps but I spent a lot of my time in Paris. I had an internship there at a museum and where I was a translator and the last time I lived there was like five years ago now maybe six years ago so a while ago but um, I also did a 10-month trip around Europe when I was a food journalist so that was really fun too. So I spent a lot of time in Europe. I'm a big Europhile. I love it there. And I would probably be living there if I did not marry a Canadian boy <laughs> who lives and loves his his town he lives in here. So part of my whole like spiel in the beginning uh, of this podcast is my friend just recently moved to Canada um, because she married a Canadian. So I texted her. I was like, okay. I was like, Janine, where do you live? She said Nova Scotia. And I was like, oh, West and was it west and east coast opposite completely it takes like longer for me to get to nova scotia for where i am on the very west coast to it takes me longer to get there than to get to like europe to get to paris yeah it's enormous and it's literally like the opposite coast they're very they actually look quite a bit alike um because we're both like i live on an island nova scotia is an island province so we have the same maritimey vibes but yeah completely far away from me <laughs> I tried to like look at like how Vancouver is from you too, which apparently is the Hollywood of Canada, says my mother. Mm-hmm. True. It's there's so many like things filmed there. A lot of like Marvel movies and superhero shows and like The Flash and Green Arrow were filmed there, Smallville like hearkening back. Um Deadpool was filmed, a lot of Deadpool was filmed there and actually even filmed on my island where I live now. I was also going to put this in the question, too, but I didn't because I was embarrassed. But have you ever met Justin Bieber in Canada? I have never met Justin Bieber in Canada. I've met Drake or I've I've, like run into Drake, Um, but I'm not a big Drake fan, so I didn't really care. (laughs) But yeah, he actually I went to the University of Toronto and we went out for dinner one night, like kind of a fancy dinner. And he was at this table and there was a table beside us with these girls and it was her birthday. And so they started singing her happy birthday and Drake started singing her happy birthday, like a li- like a couple little lines from his table. And we were all like, oh, my God, <laughs> that's so cool. But this was years ago, like, I think more than 10 years ago now. Is he Degrassi Drake? He was like in between Degrassi. He was just after Degrassi Drake. So he was more like he was his own like pop star sort of situation. But he wasn't like the incredibly iconic Drake he is today. I'm not going to tell you what to do, but that's a good about me question that you need to bring up more. 
I kind of know Drake. No, don't say that. Yeah. <laughs> we are kind of best friends. Um, no, no. We have a lot of Canadian, like famous Canadians, like obviously Ryan Reynolds, um, Goldie Hawn, um, Michael J. Fox, uh, Nicolas Cage, Rachel McAdams. There's a lot of Canadian celebrities out there. We They just don't like, I feel like no one knows when people are Canadians because Canadians don't really talk about themselves that much or like where they're from or anything you have to put in there gianna darling as a famous canadian okay yes i'll do it for you how about that we'll do that okay wonderful thank you um the whole like i'm so stuck on the about me so your bio also says you love mythology of course i adore mythology yes i mean my cat's name is persephone so you know there's that um but yeah i mean i I've always been obsessed with mythology. One of my favorite books when I was like 12 years old was The Iliad. I mean, that was like, that was life-changing for me. Actually, fun fact, one of my most popular characters that I've ever written is Zeus Garrow, who's obviously named after Zeus, the Greek god. Um, And when I was in high school dating my now husband, we really wanted to name our firstborn son Zeus. And upon reflection, when I got older, I was like, I probably shouldn't do that. So I gave Zeus his name in the book. <laughs> I feel like you're a little bit younger than me, but I have to ask, have you ever read Percy Jackson? Of course I have. Oh my God. Have you ever yeah. seen the movie? Yes. Now, I, there's a new one coming out. but I, A TV I thought, show. Okay, TV show, which I saw the trailer and I was a little bit iffy on. You know, are they not super young? Like, is he supposed to be that young? The guy who's playing Percy looks like he's like eight. This is my thing. I read the first Percy Jackson book, but I absolutely loved Logan Lerman, who was in Percy Jackson in the movie. I actually think they're supposed to be like in middle school. Are they really? Okay, because I couldn't remember that. Because he looks, this kid does look like he's in middle school. And in the movies, Logan Lerman looks like he's like a teenager. Yeah, that's why I loved it. Yeah, I liked it too. It felt more, I don't know. But I think you're right, because they do go to summer camp. And I think it's supposed to be quite youthful. I mean, they grow up in the books. But yeah, that was a, it's a hot take. But I liked them older. (laughs) Same. I literally was like, because the romance part, like, was better when they're older. Like, do your thing. But I was like, mythology, Percy Jackson, what else you got for me? Okay, so you had Persephone as a cat. Do you have another cat? Or is that just me? Am I crazy? I have a dog named Romeo. Yes. He's a very sweet boy. Okay. So Romeo, uh, Persephone, Mm -hmm. you have to keep naming your characters in your books, names that you would name your children. We love that for you. (laughs) Well, now I have to be careful because I'm like, am I going to use all my favorite names for my characters and then not have any love for my children? (laughs) I've looked back and I've been like, oh no, I used this name and I actually would have loved to use it for a child, but I cannot obviously name my child a similar name to a book character when these are filthy (laughs) <laughs> dirty delicious romance novels <laughs> correct and the thing is you need like an off-limit name in a notebook somewhere yes. like a list I do names. have some that I've okay. kept off limits that I'm that I'm saving so yes I am def- it's intentional though when I name a character I'm like okay is there any percentage of me that would want to use this as a child's name no okay perfect let's go ahead you also did say a little bit ago about your <laughs> your food journalist so you're a food blogger and a food journalist, which I am currently back in school to be a journalist. So um, yeah. And the thing is, when I saw that, I was like, we have so much in common. I was a blogger, I think, in like in 2015. And then I grew up into like a lifestyle blog and that kind of thing. And then I was like, I love writing. And I was like, journalism, amazing. We are bloggers united, you and me, Gianna. You're blogging in journalism, which is about real facts and like 
nonfiction led to your author career? Because that's the whole thing. Like it's, you went from nonfiction to essentially fiction. Like how did that, how did that go for you? So the thing is, I remember I did my first creative writing assignment when I was eight years old. I was in fourth grade and I fell in love with writing and I wrote like henceforth every single day. So I always was creative writing, but I'm also, um, one of my undergraduate degrees is in history. Like I've always been really interested in the context of a situation and learning in kind of understanding the motivations, reasons, and rationale around something. And that really lends itself to nonfiction. And so I love food and it was kind of, I kind of thought that that was a more practical way to be a writer, essentially, that if I was a journalist, you know, there's career paths, you know, with steady paychecks, there's also cool opportunities. I love food. I love travel. I got to meld those together. And that was really wonderful. And so I would say, even though I don't do that anymore, and I ended up, honestly, this was how practical I was. I was supposed to go to law school and I was like, okay, I'm going to give myself a year to try and make writing full-time a real thing. So I moved to Europe to do food writing, but I was also doing romance writing on the side. And I had already published my first trilogy, but I didn't tell anyone about that trilogy. I didn't market it or anything. I just kind of wrote it, published it for myself. This was the year where I was like, I'm going to try with romance and see what happens when I actually like put some effort in. And that's when I released Lessons in Corruption and Welcome to the Dark Side that year when I was also food writing. And those fortunately for me, changed my life, made me able to pursue writing romance as a full-time career. So I kind of was throwing spaghetti at the wall and seeing what was going to stick to be a writer as my career. Um, And I'm really thrilled actually that it was the creative side of writing that I was able to pursue because I'm able to use those journalistic impulses in my creative writing. Like the book that I just wrote, Caution to the Wind, or just published, um, you know, I did a lot of research on May because she has Chinese a cultural heritage. So I read autobiographies and biographies of Chinese, Canadian, Chinese American celebrities. I read about the triad system in different, you know, nonfiction books. In fact, I couldn't find enough research on it. So I reached out to two professors at the University of Hong Kong and they shared their dissertation on Chinese triad syndicates with me. Um, and so I still get to do that that research aspect that I so adored about journalism and I just get to apply it in a more creative vein which is a really great marriage of the two things I love. I feel like so many people don't understand or don't know maybe the rules and stipulations all that stuff that you learn with journalism is so prominent in different life careers or life places like for my podcast I literally like my research I absolutely love digging in and being like how do I come up with a question that pertains to this author or this reader and then journalism it's just with your writing too it's something that you said you love both and you can make both out of career. Exactly. And I think that um, I, I really think that journalism and having that kind of brain and that kind of education and, and knowledge really lends itself to just better understanding what's going on in life, like whether it be current events, whether it be why someone acts a certain way, like you just have this instinct to understand and to get answers. And I think that that's a very great impulse that will lend itself to you being successful in life in kind of every facet of your life, personal, professional, whatever. We're going to shout out all journalists who can do that. Well, that's why I always say too, like when I got into journalism, I love hearing people's stories. Everyone, when I was younger, they're like, oh, I don't have a story. I mean, it doesn't have to be negative. Everyone has something in their life 
that I'm interested in hearing. I'm like, here I am, I'm a podcast. So this is why you're here. Yeah, I love that. I think that it's kind of, you know, the whole aspect of someone, everyone is passionate about something. And I think, you know, in order to tell a good story, there has to be passion there. And it doesn't have to be bad. It doesn't have to be good. Like it can be anything, but um, it's something that we can identify with. Even if I was to talk to someone and they're like, I'm a carpet salesman and I, it's my passion. Carpets are my passion. I wouldn't be like, wow, I've always wanted to know about carpets. Tell me about the ply on this carpet. But it would be like the joy that that person gets relaying those that those facts and information to me is kind of addictive and contagious and it creates this great atmosphere between the interviewer and the interviewee speaking of passion let's do something about your writing which you published the affair and in the same year you also released um was it the secret why two books in one year because i want to know is the evolution of sin series did you have those ideas in your mind tell me about why those are the first published books you put out there? So I wish that I could say that it was like very intentional and it wasn't because again, for me, this was like, I was doing this for myself. I was doing this to be like, listen, G, you've wanted to be a writer your whole life. If you're going to end up having a different career, that's fine, but do this for yourself. And so it wasn't even see if you can be successful. At that point, when I published The Affair, it was really just for me. I didn't tell anyone in my life. Um, I think I told my now husband like two months after I published the second book that I had done that. Um, and I only started telling people that I was even writing after Welcome to the Dark Side came out years later. So I I mean, I had this story, this family, because there's Giselle in The Evolution of Sin, that first trilogy I published. And then there's the Enslaved duet about another sister and then the Antiheroes and Love duet, which is about the other sister. So I had the ideas for these stories about this family actually when I was 16 and I didn't write them until I was in my 20s um, or kind of finished them. But because that story had just been living there for so long and I knew that I wanted to focus on romance because I'd been, you know, I wrote fantasy. I was interested in all of these different things. That was the story that had been with me the longest, had kind of marinated the best. So that's the one that I chose. In retrospect, was it a good idea to write your debut novel called The Affair About Cheating when people, you know, cheating romances are so polarizing? No. Like, would I suggest that for an up-and-coming writer? Unless you want that to be your shtick, I would not suggest having a debut novel about cheating. But that's what I ended up doing. And the Lombardi series, the Lombardi world was kind of like just the one that resonated with me the most that I just needed to get out there for myself, not because I made any kind of intentional decision that it was a good choice to do so. Was this kind of your your trial and error kind of series? Because I have that with my hobbies all the time. I'm like, I'm going to try this out. And if it doesn't go well, I'm going to stop. But like, you made a living out of it afterwards. I did. Yeah. I mean, again, for the for this first trilogy, I didn't do anything like I think I had I did like a blog tour for the last book in the series or something like that. There wasn't that much like publicity. There wasn't any know how of the industry. This was just me kind of publishing something in the ether again, just so that I could be like, hey, you published something good for you. This was a life dream accomplishment. Um, And there was no expectations attached to that trilogy. It was more when I published Lessons in Corruption that I was like, okay, I'm going to actually give this a go. This isn't just for me. This is for me to see if like I can make this a thing. And that's really when the intentional side came out. That's when I started doing more work outside of just writing a book. I think people think that when you're a writer, all you do is write books. But when you're an indie author, 
it's so much more involved than that. You, there's so many different like aspects. You run your own business as well as being a creative person. And the creative side I'd always loved and always been good at. The business side was something that I had no idea of. So it was really when I started Lessons in Corruption in the Fall Men series that I was like, okay, let's become a student again and try to learn about this field specifically. I understand. Like it's the marketing. It's it's the essentially selling your books. You know, it's so hard. So you work so hard on these books. Amazing. And then you have to go and be like, hey, everybody, look, but like in an intentional way. So hats off to you. Thank you. I mean, it's definitely a process and it's one that never stops. Like this industry is so unique, um, like specifically that indie romance world, because it changes so quickly, like every six months, you know, there's different tropes that are doing really well. There's different marketing techniques. There's like, you know, you think about covers at first, it was object covers, then it was men covers, then it was illustration covers, you know, every single aspect is always shifting and you are never on stable ground. So in order to succeed, you have to constantly adapt and constantly learn. Like I'm still a student of this industry and I always will be as long as I'm in it. And it's cool, but it's also tough. So I'm also going to do this and put you on the spot, which I normally don't do, but we're going to do it. You've written, what, over 20 books? So it's over 20 books, right? I think I counted that. Um, I think some of them are box sets. I think I've written 17 books. Okay. Individual books. Yeah. Well, I think I did novellas and standalones with that. So not taking into consideration ratings or reviews about any of your books. Which book or book series did you enjoy writing the most? Which is a, like a hot, hot question. If you can't choose, I'll give you a, pa- a pass and you can pick more than one. So I'm going to say that um, that's a really tough question. And basically the ambiguous answer, which I will I will try to give a more specific answer, but the ambiguous true answer is I always enjoy the book I'm working on the most when I'm working on it just because it's like it's the most topical it's the most in your brain it's haunting you at all hours you're going to sleep you're waking up that's what your life is like dictated by it's like a internal author clock you're just kind of living your life by the rules that you're creating in that world and that's just an exciting thrilling process so that's the kind of ambiguous answer I will say I I really thoroughly enjoyed writing Inked in Lies, which is a friends to lovers, um, like unrequited age gap romance. And some of that has to do with the situation of life at the time, which was it was lockdown and it was early lockdown for COVID. And I just felt like things were dark and bleak and sad. And Inked in Lies for me has a lot of hope and a lot of love and a lot of beauty and art. And so that was a really great escape for me when I was writing. I think that I would say that given the circumstances of my life, that brought me a lot of joy. Which I didn't expect any answer from you, but hearing a book brought you joy makes me happy. So yeah, thank you. (laughs) I have a lot of authors I've talked to who either during a lockdown or during like having their kids, they really enjoyed what they wrote because like you said, it it was a tough time for everyone. Yeah. And I think that that's like, you know, at the end of the day, even though I love all my stories and I love the creative process, even if it's tough, like that has its own joy um, because life was tough for everyone and just, you know, weird. It definitely was a grounding, happy kind of place to be. We should get into your new release. Woo! Okay, so I'm going to do my whole professional thing. So it's called Caution to the Wind, the big seventh book. Mm-hmm. Um, 
So Caution of the Wind has a tagline um, on Amazon that says, this is an age gap, second chance love story about a rebel soul and her best friend's dad who wants absolutely nothing to do with her. So at the time of writing this question, this book was number one in alpha male romance on Amazon, number one in mafia romance ebooks, number two in action and adventure romance. So um, Gianna, darling, you are killing it. (laughs) Thank you. Readers are loving this book, and um, as a writer, it has to make you feel good, like, every time a book of yours does so well. I mean, I want to know, is there more emotion from you when you complete a series like this since you've been with the characters so long, or are you happy that it's completed in your own way? That's a really good question. Um, It's not completed, the series. So this is, like, the latest installment, but I actually have plans to write many more books. We're probably, like, halfway done um, in the series. Oh my God. A long one. It's seven books already, but yeah, there's just too much. Originally when I started the series, I'd wanted it to be 10 books. Now it's more like 12, but I mean, it's a fair question. And I think in the sense that like I've written other characters in other series and then putting them to bed is really, really tough, but I am not good at putting them to bed. And the way that I kind of keep them alive and keep them in my in my world and in readers' worlds is by writing in the same universe. So, you know, even my Lombardi world, like that's separate from my fallen men world, these two worlds that I write in. But there's mentions of them. So the brother in the Lombardi world, Sebastian, is mentioned in, you know, a fallen men book. And, you know, the fallen also exists in New York City, where the mafia exists in my mafia duet. So Having this overlap and being able to have these like cameos and stuff is really gratifying for me as a writer. It's gratifying for readers so that they can see glimpses of characters that they fell in love with before or miss. Um, and that's kind of my my hack to never really saying goodbye to any of the characters. Which is amazing because Amazon says seven out of seven books. And I was like, oh, my gosh, is this is his end. I do have a question about that because some writers like you said, you had a, like a goal of 10 books and then you're like, maybe 12. Do you ever get something where you're like, you have a goal of 10 books and then you're like, maybe nine? Or is it always like you keep expanding because like, your your brain's always going? I mean, I've, I've not yet contracted something, um, but that's not to say that I that that couldn't happen in the future. I think for the way my brain works is you know, it's almost that journalistic tendency again of I keep asking questions. I keep wanting to dig deeper. I want to know more. And that comes from, there's actually this personality test called the Clifton Strengths Finder test. And it's a really great one. I love it. And a lot of um, writers take it because it's really um, a great hack to seeing like what's important to you and what's important in your books and that sort of thing. My number one characteristic in that test is context. And I think it's that context that was why I was interested in journalism. It's why in my books, I would expand instead of contract, because there's always deeper to go, further to go, more to explore. So that's why, you know, I have this ongoing series and why it's going to be so long. It's also why I don't really have a standalone, because I write a book and I'm like, oh, I love these main characters. but These side characters are really precious as well. And sometimes in the course of writing a book, you have this main question in the plot but it gives birth to other questions, secondary questions, tertiary questions, and you want to answer those. And so you want to answer those in more books. So I think that's the way my mind personally works and why the truth is probably for my entire career, it would be more like, oh, I must do more instead of I must do less. 
again, goosebumps. I feel like we're the same people, but in different countries. <laughs> okay, so with the Fallen Men series, are people, like readers and everything, are they asking like more of a certain character? Or when they do, because they always do, in your little mind, are you like, I have a book for that? So actually, one of the things that I find really fun to do, um, it's like a game that I play with my readers, and it's very involved, is I never say who will get a future book. So I kind of put breadcrumbs and or red herrings in the series or in books so that they can be like, you know, I think it's going to be this one next. No, I think it's going to be this one next. And, you know, I put, you know, Jacob with Sally or no, I think Sally should be with Henry. You know, it's very it creates this really fun conversation around characters. And yeah, I definitely sit back and I laugh and I cackle and, you know, twiddle my thumbs and like, you don't know anything and I know everything sort of thing. It is a very fun situation in that way because I know what's going to happen, but I love that it creates this conversation and this dynamic kind of relationship between the readers and secondary characters. Like they're now reading a book, not just looking at the main characters, they're looking at the whole cast wondering what's going to happen with them and it's a really fun situation to create i love that it gives a something fun to look forward to especially totally. for a reader it's like a Sherlock situation like you get to put on your detective's hat and you get to look at this book for little kernels it's like a like if you're a swifty like swifties love easter eggs in the lyrics and her photos and stuff like that and you know i'm nowhere near taylor swift's level of like intrigue and and um whatever but it's my own little version of that in my own world. That's amazing. We need more of you. Even though you probably can't tell us all all the tea, but what is next for you? What is next for Gianna Darling? Tell me tell me what you can tell me. I can tell you what I can tell you. So my next release is actually my first foray into a sapphic romance. So it's an FF uh, Dark Academia Medusa retelling, which there you go, mythology again. Um, I love it. So yeah, I actually wrote that last year and I'm really excited about it. Um, it's kind of took me by surprise. I mean, I, I love MM romance actually. And I always thought that that would be my first kind of deviation from male, female romance, but this story just kind of hit me upside the head and I was like, okay, gee, just go with it. Just write it. So I did. And I'm super excited about it. And it's got all these yummy, kind of revenge enemies to lovers kind of vibes and lots of like feminism and girl power, which is always really fun. I also have to ask, do you have any book recommendations for the readers, for the listeners, for me, anything? Okay. So you're going to love this because one of them is definitely a Greek mythology uh, rack and it's a very popular one, but I just have to say it because it's so exquisitely written. It's an MM romance. It is song of a killer. Yes. Right. Song of Achilles Achilles. um, by Madeline Miller. And I read this actually ages ago before it got really popular. And I was just obsessed because the angst, like you can sink your teeth into the angst and you feel like ripped apart by it. And the writing is lyrical and magical and wonderful. Um, So I I just think that everyone should read that book. It's so good. Um, And then also in the same vein of incredible writing and evocative atmospheric and really dirty in the best kind of way really creatively kinky dirty is um American Queen by Sarah Simone 
I would recommend anything by Sarah Simone um, because she's an amazing human and she's an amazing artist. But American Queen will always have a really high spot on my list because it's the start of the new Camelot series. It's MMF. It is like a modern day Arthur uh, retelling. So I always recommend that book. It's amazing. The whole trilogy is amazing. And just anything by Sierra Simone is a 10 out of 10. Okay, for Sierra Simone, I just had a book club today and we talked about Merry Little Meet Cute, which is like Julie Murphy yeah. and then Sierra Simone. And then we talked about Sierra and I said, I have never read a Sierra Simone like by herself, but I have Priest. Okay, Priest is great. Um, I actually, I love that series. I actually love Sinner best. That's the second one. So it goes Priest, Sinner, and then there's Saint, um, which is MM. But Honestly, you can't go wrong with Priest. It's really forbidden, really fun. Um, and Sierra, she has kind of themes of spirituality in a lot of her books, but also spirituality and the intersection with sexuality. You need to start like a career. I mean, and this is your this is your career, but like doing book blurbs like for everybody. Like you're talking into everything. Every time you talk about a book, I'm like, I want them. Well, I'm glad because I really do love these books and I don't think you can go wrong with them. I think you'll really, I mean, let me know how you enjoy your first foray into Sierra Simone because I guarantee it's going to be a good one. Gianna Darling, thank you for coming on Megan's Bookish Life. You are a complete joy and I don't know, come back anytime. Thank you so much for having me. It's so much fun talking to you about books and mythology and everything. Yeah, it was wonderful. Thank you for listening to Megan's Bookish Life podcast. Don't forget to subscribe and leave a review on Spotify and Apple Podcasts.